Hi, welcome to the Your Adrenal Fix podcast, where we help exhausted and burnt out adults learn the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, and I've suffered with my own adrenal fatigue problem, and now I've made it my mission to tell the truth about adrenal fatigue so that we can get to the root cause of your problem and really teach you how to put the puzzle pieces together so that you could tap into your hidden energy reserves and have all day energy. So this podcast is is for anyone who's struggling for years or feeling overwhelmed and burnt out or you're just feeling stuck you're going to get cutting edge information from all our different guests in different respected health fields to give you those important tidbits of information so that you can actually act on them and improve your health join us for our podcast i know you will enjoy it Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Your Adrenal Fix, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about their health so that they can get their health back quickly. And we're joined with part with Sean Bean in part two of unlocking the metabolic bottlenecks. And I was so uh, intrigued with all the information Sean said last time that I have plenty of notes to follow up on and ask Sean a little more in-depth questions. Um, Sean is committed to helping people find answers to pivotal questions that have not yet been asked. He has an innovative approach that combines conventional with integrative uh, modalities. And due to his own circumstances, he has an innate ability to evaluate a case beyond one dimensions, but rather multiple dimensions at once. So Sean, thank you so much for being here once again. Joel, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited, Sean. So that you brought up a couple of things in full transparency that I'm aware of, but I don't really incorporate as much as I really like to. And given today's presentation with people that uh, are stressed and there's EMFs and mold and COVID and perfect storms of inflammatory reactions, um, I, I would love to sort of piggyback off from what we stopped, talked about last time. And maybe you could just tell me or tell the listeners, is that what you're seeing now, Sean, is just sort of the perfect storm of, of, of these variables environmentally overlapping with genetics and creating just such a, pandem a pandemic, if you will, or tidal wave of people that are dealing with health challenges? Um. In my clinical practice, what we're seeing is, is we're seeing an overlap of the underlying cause is going into the non-alcoholic fatty liver. Non-alcoholic fatty liver, I feel has been un underdiagnosed. And I feel probably from the looking at the organic acid tests and other clinical data, you're probably looking to estimate about 70% of Americans have an underlying uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver that is just not being addressed. and when this starts being addressed, um, people start getting better. And the reason I start bringing that up is, is, as you mentioned before, the phenol pathway. What phenols are, are basically alcohol. And what happens is, is due to our genetics, due to the environment, our bodies are just not breaking these down. It's stressing the phase one and phase two of the liver. That's why when we look at the organic acid test, we used to see high hypuric acid or maybe low hypuric acid. And it really depends upon, you know, the way I explain to my clients is, listen, the trash man does not come around fast enough to take the trash out, okay? Usually your phase one is fast and your phase two is slow. And in that situation, it usually means that they're, you know, your bile flow is all jammed up 
or that you're not you're you're conjugating toxic bile acids because of the small bacteria overgrowth that may have precipitated from the, the mold and the mycotoxin. <laughs> so when we look at this, we look at the overlying under the overlying cause is these phenols. And phenols have a similar chemistry to alcohol themselves. So when I'm starting to see the presentation of the non-alcoholic fatty liver, I'm looking at, you know, at the phenols because you're seeing that just not the body, just not the mycotoxins, but also your endogenous bacteria in your gut produce phenols. And we do know that unfortunately, phenolinic acid is one of the most powerful antifungals there is. So one of the things we have to think about is <clears throat> as a statement that I use, listen to the body, it will tell you what's going on. Now, oftentimes we have these adaptive shifts in the microbiome. What we think is pathogenic is actually trying to help us out. But unfortunately, due to the world we live in, we're getting bottlenecked. And sometimes when you see these rise of the phenols, there's often a underlying cause of a mycotoxin or of a fungal issue going on, candida. Because the body knows it needs to produce phenolinic acid. So what's the best way? I'm going to shift the microbiome. I'm going to raise up one level to compensate for what's going on. So the body's maybe trying to help us out. We see this a lot on hydrogen sulfide overgrowth. That's why one of my theories is, is the reason sulfurophans help. What do sulfurophans do? They increase glutathione. They help you to reduce, they help you to keep glutathione in its proper form. So we do know that hydrogen sulfide goes into sulfate and then sulfate goes into, it's the building block for glutathione, but it's also the building block for the glycoproteins for your gut to heal the leaky gut. That's why glutathione can often sometimes heal the leaky gut. That's why NAD now, I just found an article showing that NAD reboots the whole microbiome. It was an amazing article that I found, but the th underlying mechanism is, is the body's trying to help us out. And we're going into this kill mode, kill mode, kill mode. Now this kill mode, kill mode may have worked 10 years ago, but the whole playing field has changed due to the genetics, due to the environmental toxins. This is why, you know, you sleep by a route or your, you know, your mycotoxins are going to increase at a significant level as Dr. Klinghart presented. So we have to factor in the other thing that I'm doing now with a lot of my COVID is I use all kinds of modalities. And one of those modalities is to desensitize the body to the phenols. So there's products out there that are homeopathic that work similar to like LDI, low dosage immunotherapy. So I'm now starting to bring in these homeopathics to desensitize the immune system response to these mycotoxins. So by decreasing the immune, the immune system response, the body's not going into these mast cell activations that we're seeing. And there has been documentation through COVID that the salvage pathway, which is the, one of the pathways that you use tryptophan to create the NAD is not working right. <clears throat> and this is why exercise is encouraged because there's a pathway called a, a, NAMPT, AMPT, you know, AMPT, 
that is needed to synthesize NAD. Now, these mycotoxins, what they're doing is, is number one, they're shutting down that pathway for synthesis. Then they're increasing the conversion from NAD to NADH. So you're just not synthesizing it, but you're not able to recycle it properly. So these organisms are not, they're highly intelligent. They're almost like from another planet. And I would consider mold a parasite to some degree because it, it changes the environment in order for it to survive. And, it'll, and it knows exactly what systems to hit in order to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say it's always I always feel like it's like matrix in the body, you know, in terms of understanding, okay, if we can shut down the recycling system, or we can shut down the communication system, or we can shut down the the generation system, then we're taking out the, the biggest assets in the body to be able to take us down. And going into that understanding I guess the question would be, and I'm sorry to mean to take your thought away. Ooh. With that being said, Sean, maybe take us through. Um, you did mention the the three type of um, proper uh, proper analysis that you looked at. You look, you mentioned last time with the non-alcoholic fatty liver, but then you also said in that framework when you look at pellagra or B3 deficiency and traumatic brain injury, that's when you start to look at and reverse engineer the microbiome, the endocrine system, the nutritional deficiencies, the environmental toxins, the, the brain. So maybe let's build what we talked about last time and explain how the B3 and the TBI comes into play, the traumatic brain injury. Well, what happens is, is the body will shift when the body's going into a inflammatory state on the organic acid test, you'll see the, um, the 5-HIA and the quin ratio start to shift. When that starts to shift, that's moving, that's taking your tryptophan and moving it into the potential NAD pathway to try to help out. So that's an indication that, hey, your body's under oxidative stress. I'm trying to move and get NAD there. Now, over time, what happens is the second pathway by which it kicks in is the lactic acid pathway. The lactic acid pathway is often the backup system for when the NAD may get exhausted. And then what happens is as that pathway stays on track, you'll go into an NAD deficiency. Oftentimes we're starting to see from looking at past organic acid tests, you're starting to see a shift from the 5-HIA going low to 5-HIA going high. And that's usually an indication of your NAD systems are exhausted, now you're going into mast cell response. I've seen that multiple times. And that's very common in autistic kids because it looks like an MA and it looks like a, a slow MAO. Because you'll see, you know, unless they're doing 5-HTP, which I haven't seen in a lot of my clients do, but we're seeing that jump in serotonin and that drop. And what's happening there is, is your body is just no longer um, getting any getting NAD. And I feel that the phenols and also the micro, it's very common people that have mycotoxins that have triggered into the quote, mast cell activation. Cause we do know the environmental exposure and mycotoxins can trigger that, that mast cell activation. And when that happens, we see that pattern. 
And this is where, um, when your NAD is really, really low, this is where sometimes looking on like a Dutch test to see where the methylation panel is, okay? When you're looking on the Dutch test, oftentimes you'll see on a mechanism of mold, you'll see high methylation. Reason being is, is what's the way you get methylation down? NAD, okay? Use niacinamide and niacin to burn those off. So I'm see, starting to see that correlation with the organic acid test. And then you'll see the DHA level often on the high side. And then you'll see the DHAS on the low side. That's using indication of sulfation pathway, which is SALT2A1. SALT2A1 also backs into the glucuronidation pathway. And so this goes back into the phenyl sulfur transferase pathway. And when you start to see that happen, that's where I tend to use the calcium glucurate. The calcium glucurate works great because the calcium glucurate takes the calcium glucurate is a backup system for the glutathione system. Because a lot of people that have not done on good on glutathione, I'll use calcium glucurate to give it a break. And the calcium glucurate, what it does is, is it helps to reduce the phenols. It helps to reduce the salicylates. It helps to reduce the histamines. It helps to reduce a lot of the other toxins, even glyphosates. And right. what happens, then the glutathione can take a break, get itself caught up, and then go, then they can provide, then they can go forward with the glutathione. Right. So, so I mean, from the way you describe it, and, and from what I know, it really is sort of like we said, that matrix, when the body's under siege, it has all these different pathways that are being upregulated or downregulated, depending on what the specific uh, microorganism uh, is or what the environmental trigger is combined with what the genetic makeup looks like. And basically it's, I always say it's kind of like a Plinko board where you drop the Plinko and it depends on where it goes down. Right. Um, right. So, so as far as with that being said, I, you did mention too, in the, in the last conversation we had, which I thought was interesting. And I always say it, it's Bob Miller is a big um, mentor of mine. And he says how we learned everything we really need to know in Goldilocks and the three bears, where you don't want to have too much of something and you don't want to have too little of something. You really want to be living in that bell-shaped curve. As And you mentioned with a patient of yours that they were too alkaline and the body wanted to be acidic. And I would I would suppose that certain reactions occur at certain pH levels. And if you're not getting into that fine line balance Goldilocks in the three bear zone, then your body's not optimally functioning. So I guess the question I am asking you within here is how do we play that fine line, especially as a practitioner knowing, okay, well, I got to give my glutathione a break, but at the same time I need it. And, and that's just one example I guess, how do you, as the practitioner, determine what the perfect pulsing or the perfect being able to stay at that top of the bell-shaped curve looks like? When you're trying to optimize somebody, it can get really, really complex because myself and about three other um, practitioners were doing glutathione injections during the wintertime, and we were doing amazing okay then for whatever reason summertime started to come and then we started to have reactions to it 
well, what we figured, and we couldn't stand to be out in the sun. What we finally determined, or what I figured out, was we were lacking NAD. Because what happens is the sunlight was using, we didn't have no sunlight, so we didn't have, we were storing our NAD. Now, what happens when we're going out into the sun, we were getting reactions very similar to like histamine response or what appeared to do be an adrenal insufficiency. So what we did was, is we stopped the glutathione, we um, added in NMN, and we noticed that through muscle testing and through different you know, experimentations that we could perceive the glutathione, even though everything else was you know, non-changed. So just the indication of the sun was enough to throw her bodies off but we were able to un reduce them. We were able to figure out the mechanism of control. And that's still to this day. And all of us have suspected to have COVID. Right. So, so do you think that that was probably in part because of the sun exposure and sulfation and increasing your endogenous production? So, yeah, just quick question, because I, I have a patient that I'm really struggling with and I didn't intend on doing this in our podcast, but I, I, I do look at a lot of the blueprint uh, of the genetics and we mm -hmm. do look at it as um, sort of the lay of the land. And then obviously looking at the metabolic pathways and how the genes are expressing, but basically the genetics is a map and I, tell, take me through if someone is doing too much NAD, what side of the Valley where you're doing too much, where they're just exhausted, they have weight loss resistance, they're not moving the needle. What do you think's happening there when you swing the pendulum too much on the, on the side of NAD too much going on there? NAD, um, if you're an overmethylator, people with NAD do, do very well. There's a technique that they utilize adding in methyl groups. If people are taking NMN and they're doing well then have negative responses, that usually means that they need a little methyl support. So using things like TMG or methylfolate, SAMI, et cetera, could be enough just to keep them going in the right direction. And that's a technique that um, has been noted for many years, even since 2016, because right. um, that's why NAD or niacinamide is used in schizophrenics, because usually schizophrenics are overmethylated. Right. And explain to the listener, because I always have um, a tough time. Maybe it's a little bit of my dyslexia as well in terms of determining depending on who the point of reference is, what overmethylation means, right? So you have too many methyl groups on the highway and they're not being used or you're, you're, you're running down the transsulfuration pathway and your homocysteine's too low. I mean, explain sort of what an overmethylation looks like. Cause I don't like that term too much anymore, more than I like this regulated methylation. Right. But yeah, um, it's really hard to identify that's why I like to, I, I think the Dutch test does a good indicator of that. It gives you at least somewhat of an idea. With on, the phase two or with, with also phase, the, yeah, yeah. With, with the methylation, because, you know, your estrogens have to be properly methylated. So, so if, the, if this, if the ratio is very low and it looks like it's in the, in the, in the weak range, 
that person would be a undermethylator, is what you're saying? Yeah, and normally with undermethylators, what I would do is, is I would really add extreme caution and specifically with like niacin because they will, you know, people might feel good with niacin and all of a sudden they feel like crap. That's because they just, they used up their methyl stores. Um, right, right. But if they're getting, if they're getting it in a NMN or NMN or they're actually getting NAD injections and it's not necessarily niacin on its own, is it still chomping up all those methyl groups? There's a possibility for that because there's, there's, um, there's, there's camp of thought out there that too much NAD can trigger cancer cells. I would have to um, talk to Dr. Medier about that because um, a lot of people's diets and stuff are going to be getting enough from their diet for the general population. It's when you start messing and trying to balance everything out and trying to be healthy. You know, what's the saying? The health is sick. This, what I'm seeing is the healthiest people are the sickest people. That's because they're always trying to um, doing this diet and that diet and this diet. And by doing so, they're unintentionally throwing their body out of balance, you know, because I'm going to do this diet or a carnivore diet. I'm like, you can do a carnivore diet, but I wouldn't do it no longer than four weeks tops. Okay. Use it like elimination diet. Or do you have a person who's doing a carnivore diet? Next thing you know, you know, they're, they were choline deficient or their gallbladder wasn't working right or that they didn't have any light pace. So you, they end up clogging up their gallbladder and their liver because they're doing this high fat diet or ketogenic diet with a caked up liver, <laughs> you know? I'm sorry. So do you find then that there's a big swing in that sense? I kind of get where you're going at. And when Dr. Lynch talked about if someone has too many methyl groups on, you can swing them pretty quickly and give them niacin. But then at the same time, if you give them too much niacin, you got to bring in more methyl groups and kind of the same thing with implementing like a, a carnivore diet, you go from one extreme to the next and they're never really sitting at the top of the bell shaped curve. Is that kind of what you're seeing is happening? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, generally for with NAD, it's relatively safe for the most part. It's when people start, you know, that's why oftentimes I may start people off with like niacinamide or have them take NMN and maybe take a two to one ratio of NMN with like TMG just as a safety mechanism. Right. And then, you know, then they got other... The thing that I've learned is, is you have to do things in order because if you have some, you know, a lot of the formulas now have sirtuins added to it, which are the, you know, the resveratrol with the TMG, with the NNM. And it's like, there's just too many variables going on in there. I, I always say that supplement companies get greedy, right? They try to do too many things in one supplement and the body doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And, you know, what's, what, what works for one person doesn't work for another one. You know, that's why when I make my recommendations, it's, you're not taking a B complex. I'll individualize, you know, I'll start off with like B2 at high dosages, you know, 400 milligrams of B2 and maybe 10 milligrams of like riboflay 5-phosphate because there's a big debate about that, you know? Um, and 
I'm beginning to wonder if for whatever reason that there's more transport issues, which is riboflavin transport deficiency, that's starting to come about because why are we seeing all these riboflavin deficiencies in the organic acid almost across the board? You know, same way with carnitine. We're seeing carnitine across the board deficient. You know, I do see that a lot to the SLC gene in, in that area. So, so real quick then, as far as one of the things I really liked is you mentioned the four tests that you typically do mm -hmm. um, if necessary. And I love the idea. You kind of mentioned how, you want to get out of the idea of over testing, but then at the same time, you did mention about the concept of knowing what you, where you're digging into, and yet you're not just digging into a, 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 a I guess a not a graveyard, but a like a where there's cement all laid down. So getting a lay of the land, and you mentioned the omega quant, the oat test, the Dutch test, and my micro labs, and the omega quant test. Um, with how important that is with leukotrienes and PG1 and PG2, PG3, maybe kind of break that down um, for us, Sean, because I'd love to hear your, your expertise on that. When you're starting to look at the um, omega quant, what it does is it gives you a cellular indication of where your omegas are going. And what happens is, is we're starting to see a pileup in the DHA. Because when you take in a supplement that's a two to one ratio of EPA to DHA, you're expected to see that you're expected to see that ratio in your red blood cells. So you suspect. <clears throat> so what happens is, is due to the cell danger response, or you know, if you check your genetics, it might be damps and pamps, the DHA is piling up and it's actually causing you know, mitochondrial dysfunction. So one of the additions to the EPA-AA ratio I added in, I added my own EPA to DHA ratio. Because if you, if you look in a mega quant, you should see a one-to-one -one ratio if you're taking cod liver oil. The problem is, is we're seeing five times the amount of DHA versus EPA in the cell. Right, because the, the omega index is only looking at the two together, correct? But well, it's, yeah. it, it's looking at the it's looking at the ALA, the EPA, the DHA, and the next step down from because what happens is DHA can what we call retroconvert. DHA can actually retroconvert back into EPA. The mechanism by which that's done is still undetermined. I can't find it. I do think it's based upon potential leukotrienes, and we do know that the, um, the phenols and leukotrienes have a direct relationship. That's why when you look, um, oftentimes when I, you know, your ALA is always, I've seen probably a thousand omega quants and out of that a thousand, probably less than 5% of them actually had an ALA normal and then it comes down. Because what happens is, the ALA is known as a parental EFA. It gives birth to EPA and DHA. But I always joke with my clients, it looks like it looks at cellular incest. It's like the children, there's more children than there are parents. But if you look at the LNA, which is the omega-6, 
it starts at a high ratio and comes down. That's how nature's supposed to be. But the ALA, for what apparent reason, is most likely is pretty much all deficient in majority of the cases. And I think that has to do with an inflammatory response. It's hyperconverting. Got you. So, so when you're you're doing the the plus test, that or are you doing the comp the complete test, or I'm just doing the Omega Comp complete. The complete. Okay. So the the for those that may not know what it is, it's a blood uh, spot test, and you can just have that mailed to your home, and it's really price effective, a hundred dollars, and you're looking at your Omega three index. You're looking at your omega-3 to six, 6 to 3 index so you're you're look that's what you're talking about when you, when you're looking at that are you making up your own references based on the complete omega profile that you get with the complete cuz i think they have over 24 omega uh, 3 6 and uh, saturated monosaturated unsaturated 6 so yeah give me an idea what you're doing there what i did was is i cross referenced over 5 or 600 different lab clients and I did the Omega Quant, the organic acid test, and the Dutch test. And what I did was, is by looking at the Omega Quant, I foreshadowed what was going to be on the other test. And the reason being was, is you could see when the saturated fats hit a certain mark, that the, the cell membrane stiffening up as a protective mechanism. And when it starts to stiffen up, that usually means it's trying to protect itself from something. So once it hits a certain, like 30, you know, on the Omega Quant, usually when it hits over 37%, that usually tells me that you're dealing with some type of like environment, more like a mycotoxin or um, lime versus a heavy metal. What what was thirty seven percent? So I missed what that was. When you look at the sat, when you look at total saturated fats on the omega quant, when yeah. it starts to get over thirty seven, the cell membrane stiffening up. Okay. Because the body will pull saturated fats in to stiffen the cell membrane, so it doesn't want anything else to come in. Makes okay. sense. Right. And then what happens is, is that usually indicates that there could be a potential um, mycotoxin or lime. I don't really see it in heavy metals as much. Okay. Right. I've, I don't see that set. And then what happens is, is people are coming in and it's like, they have, um, they have the beginnings of diabetes by using the omega quant, you can foreshadow the beginning of diabetes, probably five to 10 years ahead of the game. Because what is happened- Is that with the palmetic acid or are you saying- That, that? is the palmetic, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because right. the palmetic acid is usually indication of the severity of the insulin resistance at the cellular level within the liver. Because right. you can have liver insulin resistance, you can have muscle re insulin resistance. This is usually indication of the liver. And that usually tells me that- Hey, like I have documentation showing how the person's uh, palmitic acid was like, say, 22. And by doing what we did, you could see the drop in the five. You could see the drop in the A1C. You can see the drop in the insulin resistance on the, the, the panels. And you could see the drop from the 22% back down to the 19%. So that told me that their person was going in the right direction. Their symptoms were the same. Their symptoms were corresponding to the, the data. Because correlation right. doesn't mean cause, you know, causation doesn't mean correlation. Right. So at least we have tracking mechanisms to know. And then it's like, hey, by the way, it's like, yeah, you're doing much better. 
you know, because you re you should retest that probably once every uh, four to six months. Because what happens is, is depending upon the person's genetics, if it's FADS1, FADS2, they may be hyperconverters to arachidonic acid from the um, GLA, for example. So in that situation, you might want to use things to like, um, there's, there's a five locks and there's two cocks and five locks. Those are the two main things. Five locks usually works. Five locks will knock off the uh, five locks will not knock off the leukotrienes that are actually stimulated by the phenols. Phenols actually stimulate five locks. Uh, phenols actually inhibit the five. Um, they um, they impair the five locks pathway, and the five locks pathway is directly linked to histamine responses, and that's why a lot of people that I work with, they may not do good on like Claritin or Zyrtec, but they'll do good on monoclast, um, which would be, um, monoclast would be, um, um, what's the? Singular, not singular. Yeah, singular. It has to be prescribed, singular. Right. Because they don't have a reaction to the histamines, they have a reaction to the leukotrienes right i want you to explain that because i think that's a big part for a lot of people that have tried the benadryl and the zyrtec and they have these major issues and i love the way you've made these connections especially like if you're doing my mycotoxin lab and you're not doing a urine organic acid or a urine mycotoxin test and you can actually see that there's an ige reaction and you know that there's a um, a mast cell thing versus an immune reaction um, but then they go ahead and they do all these histamine-based things and it doesn't work. So kind of explain how the um, how, how the leukotrienes come into play in all of that. When you have, oftentimes when you have an elevated arachidonic acid to EPA ratio, that can also trigger, that's an indication of leukotrienes. Because what happens is people are using EPA, which is fine for some people, but they can't tolerate that. But the, another way that you can lower the arachidonic EPA ratio is go after the leukotrienes. Use the singular, use the five locks inhibitors. That's what Botswalia is good for. Frankincense, that's a five locks inhibitor. That's my go-to. Five, you know, Botswalia, frankincense are my go-to for five locks. And when you go for the five locks, what that does is that will lower the arachidonic acid to EPA ratio without you even having to take fish oils. Or if you're gonna take a fish oil, what I'll use is I'll use an algae-based one. There's an algae-based one out, there's algae-based ones out there that are just EPA alone. Problem is, is a lot of these doctors are given cod liver oil, okay? If you get cod liver oil, that's why I, cases I work on with the autistic, I'll check their omega quant. Next thing you know, you'll see the cod, because they're taking cod liver oil, their DHA ratio is 10 times higher than EPA ratio, which isn't right. And that's usually an indication of the cell danger response. So what I do is, is I pull them off the cod liver oil. I work on draining out, the, you know, raising up their EPA, whether through an inflammatory, you know, taking care of the five locks pathway or doing the five locks pathway combination with the algae. And within three weeks, you got this autistic kid that was a holy Terra is now an angel because the fact is, is you removed the problem in the first place. 
And it's not the practitioner's fault because they were just doing what they were supposed to do. It's because of what's happening because of all these environmental toxins, these gene expressions, these pathways are just not working like they should be. Right. You know, and that's why I'm trying to understand with other practitioners, these negative feedback loops. It's like, how can we get that EPA to, you know, the DHA to retroconvert? Okay. Because when when DHA piles up, that's also a potential sign of cellular hypothyroidism. We see that a lot too. Did you ever read the PEO solution with Brian Peskin's book? Brian, that's the that's kind of like the methodology that I come off of him and also um, Patricia Kane. Dr. Patricia Kane is like the lipid queen. Um, I was a patient of hers a long time ago, and that was what turned me around the fastest by doing the PCIVs and the glutathione and her work because. Back then, she was taking care of oxalates. She was taking care of all these imbalances that we didn't know about. But she knew by addressing these pathways, maybe at the time she didn't know what they were, but she was head of the game 30 years ago, you know? Right, right. So, so okay, curious, because I like that you said on the last visit, you always want to know what really worked well for you so we can understand. And we also want to know what really didn't work well for you so we can understand and really control expectations. I really like that as a practitioner, like, look, Mrs. Jones, we don't have, this isn't an exact science. We can just estimate what's going on based on your symptoms, based on the genetic maps, based on the expressions based on these metabolic pathways and what, if this goes right, this is what we'll feel. But if it goes wrong, not wrong, but if it doesn't play the way we want it, this is what we'll feel. And that's great information because like you said, I'm more concerned about what I don't see than what I do see. Um, I guess the question, again, I'm stealing your brain here for some of my patients and maybe some of the people listening will understand. I have a patient who she she did like it was, a magic wand when she took a COX-2 inhibitor. And she said it was amazing for her knees. It was so, so great. Um, I gave her a, um, a CBD, CBN type mix, and it was like the worst thing ever. So I don't know, like I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Like this is a good case study for people to understand. I would have expected that would have been the same thing as the COX-2. But because there's complicated pathways and genetics and environmental triggers, how would the metabolic renegade, Sean, under, look at this in, in this way? Yeah. When she had these reactions, were they neurological? Did she, she go said in- it was like she couldn't sleep and it was just okay. like out, out of out of body experiences. Okay. So she had a deep, so she had slight depersonalization, what you could identify as slight depersonalization issues. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. What happens in some situations is, is it's not the, sometimes inflammation to the body. I found this out in one case. Sometimes the inflammation in the body makes the person the way they should be. But when you start to reduce that inflammation, it makes them the way they shouldn't be. Okay. And oftentimes what I see is the CBD works on the, the dopamine receptors. So what happens is, that's why I asked about depersonalization. What happens is, is CBD can, if I take CBD oil, it lowers my, I become anodonic. I become out of body, out of mind. 
That's how I know. I feel like I'm existing in space and time, no pleasure, no joy. And, you know, with low dopamine, you can have, you know, insomnia as a result. So in those situations, what may have happened was, is the body may need some inflammation, but too much inflammation can go the other way. And also using CBD can also affect the dopamine receptors. So if she is a person who's more higher dopaergic, and then you drop that down, then she's going to be more the anodonic, the depersonalization issues going on. Does that make sense? Right. It does. But then where does the COX-2 fit in where it was like a magic wand in that pathway there? Because I know like, it, I mean, that's why I like talking about this area, because I think fatty acids and how important they are, not just inflammation, but in in being able to make your hormones to flow your bio, to support your nerve function. I think there's a lot that we don't understand just yet. And it's amazing to talk about this with someone who's made these, these connections. Um, and especially when they know that, hey, if this thing helped you, then I want to do more of that. Or if this thing didn't help you, I want to understand what that is. Um, yeah. It just sounded to me like that um, the one part was helping with the immune system. And then when you added the CBD, it may affect another part of the immune system that we're just maybe unaware of because that works on CBD works on something similar that what caffeine does. It inhibits um, the one enzyme for, um, um, it starts with an A, I can't think of it, but it's an inhibitor. Edenison works on the denison. Okay. So it's a denison. So in her chemistry, that pathway got, may have got affected. So as you can see, there are so many out branches of, as possibilities and we can only go on with what her clinical presentation was at well, this time. I mean, and that's, and it's a good point for, for people that may be thinking that this is complex stuff. I mean, it's complex stuff for the, for the practitioners to want to help you and understand that there's pathways, there's, there's nutrients, there's deficiencies, there's, impressions there's mindsets and all of these have a lot to do with the outcome that we're going to be implementing and 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 trying to give you some support with um sean also the other thing i wanted to talk to you about was you mentioned about um gaba and neurotransmitters and then there's dopamine and acetylcholine so if we're talking about inflammation we're talking about the um phenol sulfur pathways we're talking about controlling at we're talking about mold we're talking about emfs i guess the question is where does the neurotransmitter imbalances and emphasis come into play because a lot of people will say well i need to do the neurotransmitter test i need to take these um i'm taking these especially pharmaceuticals like these ssris or the snris or these um, these GABA supporting uh, medications, which we we know can really mess someone up if they're in the wrong arena and they're doing it for so long. Um, how do you approach that? I mean, we're, we're, we're not treating quote unquote, we're, we're, we're helping support function through nutrition, but how do we look at it? In those situations, there has to be communication between you and the psychiatrist because I, I wrote letters to psychiatrists and I said, listen, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be working with your patient. We're going to be working on balancing the hormones, 
the adrenals. So there may be some changes in medicines such as, hey, we're going to, you know, we may get his dopamine levels going naturally. So he may need to reduce the dosages. So there has to be um, communication, first of all. They may or may not be open to that, but I always, with my recommendations, I always say, listen, we're gonna be working on your testosterone level, okay? When we start working on your testosterone level, this may affect your dopamine receptors. So it may make you more dopaergic. Now, because of the fact that you've already got not enough dopamine, but then you also lack serotonin, you know, we may have to work on the balance, but this is what, you know, this is what I recommend you do if this happens and please get in contact that you need to maybe lower your dosages because by turning on the dopamine receptors, we're going to make that medicine work better. Okay. And this is what to inspect. So this comes from number one, years of experience. It comes from the interaction between of the, the neuroendocrine immune system, the gut. I mean, just working on the gut alone, I mean, you start using Plantarum 299 and you start using L-Raminosis, you start using L-Ruteri, they all impact neurotransmitters. So if a person's on drugs or anything, the clinician needs to research and be aware of, hey, given um, um, L-Ruteri, you know, Biogaia has a huge effect on, guess what? Oxytocin. You know, oxytocin affects a huge array of neurotransmitters. So you're on this type of medicine, this type of medicine, you know, people come in with six different types of site, you know, six meds. You need to know the interactions. You need to know, you know, the yeah. orchestra. Would you say, I mean, those are obviously, I always use the analogy, Sean, it's like, I'm a golf pro and I would have just rather you came in and never swung a club before than learning how to swing as terribly as you have, because now I not only have to unlearn what you learned wrong, I now have to teach you what you should have learned from, from the beginning. Would you agree with that statement in terms of, I, I, yeah. I agree. When people come in me clean slate, they're the easiest ones to work with. It's when right. they come on with these nutraceutical or pharmaceutical um, nightmares, you know, from other practitioners that they're on 50 different things in combination with 13 different drugs. It's like, you've got to be on your game. You've got to be research-based. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I love that you said, I think it needs to be repeated that a lot of practitioners, let alone patients don't understand is your body's incredibly intelligent and it's doing what it should be doing in the in the environment and the information and the computer programs that have been run and don't automatically think that you're smarter than the body and you need to shut that program down or you need to run a different program you need to understand which program is being run you mentioned that with inflammation where the body's creating inflammation for a purpose for a cell danger response. And the best way I use the example is with thyroid function. If the thyroid is an oxygen sensor to the cell and oxygen isn't moving effectively, then your body is going to do what it can to put on brakes, whether it's decrease your pituitary output, decrease the glandular output, decrease the conversion, increase the, the reverse T3, make antibodies. But we're so fascinated with, oh my gosh, this is broken. Let's fix this. And it's not broken. So I guess it's sort of Aikido in the art of using your body effectively. I guess how... How do you, given what we've just mentioned with having to cross-reference all these medications, interactions, microbial impacts, how do you, how on earth do we get people better? 
you just kind of have to start at the top of the cascade to see who's screaming the loudest. Once you know who's screaming the loudest and once, you know, hey, I'm like, did you take 5-methylfolate? Yes. What kind of response you got? Oh, God, I made, it made me crazy. Like, all right, that it's pushing your catecholamines too hard. So therefore, you know, think about adrenal insufficiency. Once you correct the adrenal insufficiency, then you can go ahead and push the, you know, then you can go push things a little harder. Um, but again, adrenal insufficiency is just a, a symptom of a deeper cause. You know, how many times have we worked on adrenals? They backfire when you, when the problem, real problem was the mitochondrion because the mitochondrion produced the um, cortisol in this, you know, cortisol producing the cytosol, the mitochondrion, right. in the adrenal glands, we, we've been misled to think. So, you know, a lot of my clients now been on, on adrenal supplements, they fail. I'm going in with the mitochondrial support you know, the NAD, the CoQ10. This is where I like to have the genetics to see where the, you know, NQ01 is, where the NAMPs are. I'm going to actually talk to Bob because we've, we're going to try to reroute the pathway and get the salvage pathway on there and get different pathways in regard to the NAD pathway deeper and how it interlocks yeah. with the nitric oxide pathway. Um, and, inter and I would say also too, with the, um, with the PAPs and, and what you were mentioning earlier too, because I don't think he looks at, at that as much either with the sulfonyltransferase and that it's in there, but I don't know how much they're integrating it. And from my perspective, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big copper availability fan. And I think you don't pass go until you understand how well you're respiring at the cellular level effectively. And if you're not, you're creating exhaust. And that to me come, comes really, really quickly as well. But um, back to what you were saying with the NAD pathways, um, maybe, I mean, I, I think I'm seeing that with a lot of people is that just, just so understressed and, um, and under, under supplied with energy that they're having to overcreate that NAD production and, right. and then that creates so much issues. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, I think the NAD pathway, um, I think the um, NAD pathway is highly overlooked. Yeah, I mean, well, we I, I always assume guilty until proven otherwise, where you you sort of look at like that tryptophan steel. I look at it as an NAD steel, right? Or you have an NADPH steel, and the environment, um, stress, chemicals, EMFs, dopamine, sulfates, uh, exhaust fumes, molds iron dysregulation, histamines, mast cells, molds, all of those things are going to deplete you of your NADPH, which ultimately needs NAD to be able to function. Right. And, I, and yeah, so um, yeah, we went down a lot of different rabbit holes. Um, one of the questions I did want to ask you, though, was the sex hormone binding globulin. I know this is out of left field. Um, you mentioned that when your 10 hipperic is high, on the oat test, um, you always mention, hey, you know what, let me guess your SHBG or your sex hormone binding globulin is high as well. So maybe explain how you came up with that correlation. Um, I've been monitoring my SHBG for probably about 20 years. And when I got hit with mold, again, it was mold that did it. I think mold has a direct impact, but I also genetically also have, um, the gene for SHBG2, okay? Which means that it's going to be more likely. My SHBG was 60, now it's 27. The other factor was 
Um, the other factor was also protein synthesis was off. The mycotoxin I had was, uh, I discovered was Don, which is um, known as a vomitoxin. Vomitoxin causes protein deficiency. It alters protein synthesis in the GI tract. It mimics celiac. So what I also started doing was, is I started taking a protein that's called perfect aminos. That's a pre-digested protein um, that does not cause any kind of um, um, nitrogen issues. I use it in dialysis cases all the time. Five grams is equivalent to about 30 grams of whey protein with minus the um, metabolic ash. So I started doing that outside my fasted window. I think the combination between the um, supporting the glutathione pathway, supporting the excess of um, supporting excess protein because SHBG rises in people that have anorexia. It also happens in um, regards to non-alcoholic fatty liver. It'll phase two pathway. So it does a lot, but it was the combination between the two the excess, the protein with the glutathione, I think brought it back down in the play because you're supporting that phase one, phase two, you know, getting rid of that non-alcoholic fatty liver. Right. Yeah. I, and do you, I mean, just as an aside, it was the excess protein from ash or was the excess protein from arginine with uncoupled nitric oxide or do you know? It, it was It was just from malabsorption from the small, you know, the mycotoxins hitting the small bacteria overgrowth with the bile flow causing right. the... Um, Specifically, I went into the research to look at them. I, what I did was I broke down the mycotoxins. I looked at the clinical research on each of the mycotoxins and learned their mechanisms. Like Don induces GLUT5 transport issues, which causes fructose intolerance. So anybody that has Don, I pull their fructose down and that has been helping out great because most people with Don and vomitoxin actually mimic a lot of the celiacs because of the cross-reactivities. They, they see really high uric acid with those patients? No, they'll see real high uric acid levels at all. Interesting. Well, listen, I mean, I, I could go on and on with this, but I know it got deep quickly and I appreciate your time. I definitely would love to be able to send you um, one of my patient's results because I'm having a bit of a tough time with her, but it's always great. You mentioned in your bio, even when you don't know the answers to something, you'll find the answers because they're there and you'll lean on other people. So I appreciate what they what you do. Um, I'll put all the links to your, how to get in touch with you. But for the people that are listening now, what's the best way to um, find you, Sean, and where you're at? The best way people find me is, is they can email me at matrixhealthwell at gmail.com. Uh, website's currently in process of getting revamped. So they go to the website, they hit the info, it won't get to me. So they can have me direct um, Contact me via my email, matrixhealthwell at gmail.com. Uh, and then as my website gets up, I'll let people know about that. They can find me on Facebook under my name because um, I'm posting a lot of interesting information there. Yeah. And and last time too, you did share us some really great information in terms of start simple, look at your environment, get good, healthy water, get good, healthy food, get good, healthy air. Um, get good, healthy thoughts. I really like that you talked about having a community and making sure that you're getting support. Um, I guess for the Sean being what you wish you would have known now that you would have known then that could have helped you a lot quicker, faster, further, what would you have told your younger self? Um, 
really, it probably would have been number one, focus on more of the microbiome, focus on more, uh, you know, the liver pathways. Also, the biggest one that I'm starting to come to conclusion is the vagus nerve. Vagus nerve is huge, but also we know the vagus nerve innervates the GI tract, the GI innervates the vagus nerve through a bidirectional pathway. So oftentimes you can regulate the vagus nerve through using butyrate, through using and regulating the microbiome. Um, I just found an article in NMN actually reboots the whole GI tract itself. Yeah. Uh, I'll send that over to you. It's an amazing sure. find. Um, so, and now by knowing that information, I can see the patterns in the stool sample test on the, the biome and know exactly, hey, you have low acromancia, bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, but you also have high levels of bilia wadsworthia and defibro. Well, guess what? That falls right into the pattern of NAD. Yes, I've seen that before, actually. And they, with the interpretive guide, they only have something on those firmicates when they're when they're out of range, and that's it. But awesome information, Sean. I definitely will um, post the links to contact you, and would love to somewhere down the road when we when we um, meet again to pick your brain, see what's new, and share resources along the way. So thank you so much for what you do. All right, thank you, Joe. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of your Adrenal Fix podcast, where our goal is really to teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their energy back quickly. And if you happen to be suffering with your own exhaustion and fatigue-based problems and you're not getting answers and you're frustrated and you're concerned and you really want to get back to the things that you're not able to do, then maybe it's time for you and I to book a discovery call. If that makes sense to you or what we talked about makes sense to you, then this is an opportunity for you and I to troubleshoot and figure out what's going on in your body, what's not working, what have you tried, how's it impacting you. Most importantly, figure out where you want to go with your health and why you're not able to bridge that gap. And if I feel I can help you and all the things that you need to be doing, I can recommend to you, I'll let you know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you that too. But my goal is for you to leave this call with a step-by-step -step game plan to learn how to bridge that gap and get your life back quickly. If I feel I can help you, I'll tell you what that will look like to work together. However, there's no obligation to do any further work and there's no charge for the call whatsoever. It's just really a one-on-one -on -one time for you and my team member or myself to get true value out of what's not working with your health and what are you missing in order for you to make that next step. If that makes a lot of sense to you, then go ahead and go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com, all one word, adrenal fatigue workshop.com forward slash apply now spacing is limited and it's a first come first first served basis and you have to be willing to to make that next step to get your health back or at least be serious about it if we feel we can help each other just go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply and i look forward to giving you value and getting you your health back